If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have Ian Beckman, the boss man, or director, behind the recently released title known as Cosmos Quick Stop. Hi, hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm glad you could make it. Uh, I, I think that this will be an interesting one since the game has just been out for like a few weeks now um yeah. and it's getting pretty great reviews like i i looked the other day you had posted on twitter that it has a hundred percent positive rate which is uh unheard of in a lot of ways <laughs> because it was you know it's not like a hundred percent and you had like one review right it was like yeah. i think it was like 40 plus or something like that so that's that's pretty great to to have yeah we're super excited the feedback from everybody's been really great and um you know it's you know you launch and you find out some bugs, you find some things that aren't quite right, but our community's just been like catching that stuff, letting us know we've been jumping on it. And um, no, it's been, it's been an awesome experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I can't wait to dive in more. But before we do that, one of the things that I love to talk about before we get into the game is really talk about the people behind it, right? So like, Ian, tell me a little bit about yourself. What does it mean to be the boss man? of Cosmos <laughs> Quick Stop. <laughs> I don't even know these days. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm the boss man slash director. Um, I do all of the programming on the game, uh, a lot of the game design. Um, I help kind of direct uh, the other people on the team. So the other core members of the team, there's Erin, um, who uh, is my wife, and she does all the animation and some of the project management and stuff like that. Um, and then a third core team member is... Brian, um, who does all the 3D modeling, uh, shaders, any sort of like weird tech we need. Um, but yeah, I mean, we are we work very closely together, um, and you know, we all trust each other to get our own sides of the project done. And so it's me right. just making sure things are getting done, tweaks here and there. But uh, yeah, you know, a lot of programming, though. a lot of programming. <laughs> I I hear you on that. Um, it's it's funny, too, that you mentioned that because I love uh, going through your your bio on your you know team site. You mentioned mm -hmm. something to the fact that like you actually learned how to code just because you were like, oh, this is going to be expensive. Like, I need <laughs> to just sit down and figure this out myself. What was that like? Like, what kind of happened? Yeah, so I was I was um, an animator in the industry for a long time, for like five or six years, um, doing mostly mostly like motion capture work for like not like shovelware, but like not great games either. Um, <laughs> contract work. Um, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. You gotta um, you gotta pay the bills somehow, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and my wife is also an animator, um, and so she was working with motion capture as well. And we kind of got fed up with that, and we we're like, well, let's make games that have like high poly, high fidelity 3D animation and stuff, because we both went to school for like film animation, like Pixar stuff. Right, um, right. And and so the plan was, well, first of all, she's a better animator than I am. So I was like, well, you handle that and I'll figure out something for me to do. <laughs> um, so I was like, I'll do the game design. Let's just pop out some prototypes real quick so we don't have to bring in a programmer um, until later, because they are extremely expensive. You know, we like to pay people what they're worth, and we know mm -hmm. 
programmers are worth a lot. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to take some time, do some prototypes. And then, you know, fast forward five years later and it's like, okay, we still haven't hired a programmer. I'm doing all of it. I don't know how this is working at all, but it's, it's working. So we'll just go yeah. for it. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things that I was going to say is I was super interested to hear that you had just kind of like picked it up because taking a look at the game, it looks like it's running pretty well. Like, I don't, I don't know. It, there's a lot going on. It's very chaotic. It seems like you figured a way to pull it together. How, how many years of, of code? Like, did you start right at that part where you were like making the prototype? So like, you know, I, I don't know how long have you been working on the, the game actually is probably a better question. <laughs> yeah. So we, it would, we were just under five years when we released. Um, so too long, most probably, but I, <laughs> it's, you know, indie game dev. And, you know, if I was experienced programmer, maybe this would have taken, you know, three years instead of five, but, you know, you never know. But yeah, I mean, I, so we had one prototype game before we started working in Cosmos, which was like this open world 3D platformer, which all this, all this like physics and this whole, it was way too complicated for us. Right. So, yeah. but I started programming on that and we worked on that for about six or seven months until we abandoned that and moved to Cosmo. So yeah, I mean, starting in Cosmo, I had six months of programming experience and, you know, I, I've, I took one course, one course in game maker in college on it. And then the rest of it is just, you know, unity tutorials and stuff like that. And, um, we, as we design the game, we also like try to focus on things that aren't too programming heavy like right. you know it's like we make these mini games we design things they're like okay this way is easier to program so let's try that way first you know and that's gotcha. just every every decision we make is based around that all right well i mean i think it it worked out right like people are enjoying it i think that if you look at it from face value you wouldn't know that like you you don't have that you know formal experience or didn't start with a, a higher sense so i think that you made the right decisions uh with the way you took that approach um i don't know i i i'm just very impressed uh oh, by putting that, pulling that all together so i just want to give you a congrats on that um so tell me a little bit about uh the third member of your team so brian so mm -hmm. you know you and aaron are together right that clearly makes sense that you would be a team because she's your wife uh but yeah. how did brian come into the mix so um i actually went to high school with brian um and so we knew each other through that, um, but it took a while for us to kind of end up working together where um, he had a kind of a different path through college and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but he had, right when we were starting Big Sur Games, um, he was kind of graduating from his 3D modeling program. Um, and I had been doing some of the modeling for that because I had some training in that, but you know, he was just really, really eager to jump in um, and so we, we brought him in for that first kind of like failed prototype um, that we were working on. Um, but in that process, we just found kind of our styles mesh so well, like what he was good at making, it was exactly like what we wanted. And so mm -hmm. it was just like, okay, this is, this is perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, nice. And so he's, I mean, he really formatted the style of the game a lot, you know, and kind of so much of the humor and the visuals and like how polished they are. And so that all just comes from him and we kind of just let him go wild, which <laughs> I think he really appreciates that creative freedom. Just be like, I don't know, go crazy. 
Right, right. That's that's awesome. I I love to hear uh, people getting that creative freedom because that's one of the things that's so great about indie games is having that like that free range of just you know you get to do whatever it is you want as long as yeah. you know ultimately it's good. Um, but before we actually dive into the game, the last question I have really is like why a game? Right, all, all three of you have such high technical prowess when it comes to like an animated side and you even talked about having more of that idea of like a film uh piece mm-hmm. so, like what caused you to to say like oh well let's do a game though hmm that's a good question um you know i had worked in like short films and stuff like that um pretty close after college um and i think it's just part of it was we none of us found jobs in film Mm. um you know like uh aaron and i are based in chicago um and when we graduated it was kind of the tail end of the 2008 2009 like kind of depression kind of stuff and so there was just no jobs at all uh for kind of our industry and so we just kind of ended up in games instead of film um Hmm. and we never really loved it there because you know we don't particularly like working with motion capture it's like an amazing tool, but you, you're not, you don't, you're not allowed very creative, you know, freedom with it. Right. Um, and then, so we were working in games for a while um, as animators. And I think it was just more natural of a transition for us because I know we play a lot of games. Um, we, we had a lot of contacts. Um, you know, I think there's also a much bigger chance of, you know, making a return on your investment for an indie game than there is an indie film, especially mm-hmm. like short films and stuff like that. As right. you know, I, we, I was a technical director on a short film that was in like 20 or 25 different film festivals and stuff. And it's just like, you know, that's a great response for that. But like, there's, there's no, there's no steam where you're like selling that or something. Right. Like that, you right. Know? It's just not as lucrative. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you never know. Maybe Cosmos Quick Stop will blow up and uh, then you'll be making the next new uh, Pixar uh, film about maybe, it. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> you got to dream big, right? Yes. Yes. All right. So let's dive into the actual game itself. Okay. Tell me what Cosmos Quick Stop is all about. Like, let's get the elevator pitch, you know, for people who don't know anything about it. Sure. So Cosmos Quick Stop is an interstellar gas station management game. Uh, you play the janitor Morvin, and it's your job to kind of complete tasks for different aliens who are docking at your space gas station. They're going to want things like their ships washed or their gas refilled, or they might need to use the glorp room, or they might want to see the galaxy's world's or the galaxy's largest lint ball or something like that. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they come and request these things, and you have to run to specific spots in this in the station and perform little mini games to complete tasks for them. And these things could be you know, a series of button inputs. It could be shaking your mouth in a, mouse in a specific way. It could be memorizing an input for later. It could just be turning something on and turning something off. Um, but all these little mini games are very, very simple. But as they, the game kind of progresses, they all kind of stack on top of each other until it gets really, really crazy. Um, and you're really just balanced on the edge of like total, total chaos and like getting everything done. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's super fun. Um, but yeah, it gets real crazy. I love the idea of this game, um, mostly like the setting, because I can't think of anything more boring than running a gas station. 
<laughs> now, although putting it like in space, you know, it, it by default becomes a little bit cooler because you're like, oh, it's mm-hmm. in space, though. But but, you know, that being said, why did you why did you and the team land on like, you know, what would be good uh, a gas station simulator in a sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a, a, a weird journey how we got there. But I mean, it kind of started as like most games in the genre, especially when we started making this game. Uh all of these time management games were based in the kitchen. It was always these kitchen games. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we were like, we want to get out of that for sure. Um, And then um, kind of how we ended up working on this game was like, it was, it came from a global game jam um, Hmm. idea back in, I guess, 2016, where the, the theme was ritual with an exclamation point at the end of it. Um, Mm -hmm. So we kind of came up with this idea where, it was a similar style of game, except you were running the call center of hell. <laughs> okay. um, so it was both kind of like based on office rituals, but also like satanic rituals. <laughs> okay. Interesting. So like people would be like, oh, I need like someone speaking in tongues or like I need a possession or I need a monster to show up. And so like you'd run to different areas and be like, okay, this is the speaking ton- tongues beat. A mini game or something like that, uh-huh, and then uh-huh. you would have office workers that every time you ran into them, you would have to type like "Hail Satan" or something like. That. I don't know. It was this whole thing. Um, it was a weekend project that we had a lot of fun with. Um, but then later on, once we kind of canceled that one prototype we were working on, we went and looked back back at that ritual game, and we were like, "Well, there's some interesting mechanics here. There's some interesting ideas. Um, obviously, we want to get out of the whole." you know, hell theme kind of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. So what do we do? Um, well, space lets us do whatever the hell we want. Um, you know, artistically, like visually, we can do whatever we want. And then True. we were like, well, what kind of other industries have kind of this, you know, time management styled in them? We're like, well, gas stations are like, well, what if it was like, okay, what if it was like astronauts in space? And you were like, teaching them how to run the International Space Station. And then it was like, well, what if it was like a gas station for the other astronauts that come through? And then we're like, well, what if it was like Route 66 million, you know, truck stop, you uh-huh. know, tourist trap. And like, so that's kind of how we, we ended up there. Um, yeah. But yeah, a- I mean, it was, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a spiraling uh turn of events yeah. that is and i love the you know the the inside of the minds when it comes to to breaking down why something so mundane is actually so interesting and exciting in this context yeah um, the you know you talked about it being three uh people who have just uh, amazing talent from an animation perspective uh the the one thing immediately looking at this game is how like quirky it is uh very silly you talked about brian putting in that like that uh, over the top kind of elements but Mm -hmm. at the same time having such a smooth animation style makes it very crisp and clean almost like you know a pixar film kind of what it reminds me a lot of older platformers uh and I, i think it's interesting because that goes into the the failed part of like what this was beforehand um yeah but you know where where did you pull inspiration from when it comes to like games or outside media that kind of built out this this look and this feel to the game? Sure. So, um, I mean, a couple big inspiration gameplays wise is like Overcooked, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and Cook Serve Delicious. Both were kind of gameplay our inspiration, 
um, for that kind of a mesh of those two. But visually, um, you know, we pull a lot from, you know, like old Ratchet and Clank stuff. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, we're all, you know, 90s kids. Um, so a lot of like Nickelodeon cartoons, stuff like yeah. that, we, we really pull from. I mean, Aaron's got a poster of all real monsters in her room, yeah, you know. That's what I was it's thinking all, of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so all that kind of stuff, like 90s cartoons is a big part of like what we pull from. Um, and then like there's obviously inspirations from like kind of more modern things like Futurama or Rick and Morty, like any modern sci-fi cartoon is we pull stuff from. Um, but yeah, I think visually the biggest influence is really those like 90s cartoons just like that's what that's what gets us going you know that's awesome yeah no i love it I, that's probably why i'm so into the look and feel of it is because that's like that's my brand that's my nostalgia kick right is that yeah. 90s era of games and and shows um let's talk about the actual gameplay loop here so you mentioned that you're you're going through you're performing these tasks these little mini games we're taking care of this gas station but you're doing it in a variety of, of hectic ways. Can you talk a little bit more about like what some of those mini games look like? And I, one of the ones that I want to know is what you think personally is the most frustrating of them. Oh, the most frustrating one. Um, it's tricky. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, so there's 19 different, uh, different amenities or mini games in the game. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, some of them are like, um, well, I, I guess I should break it down a little bit more. They're basically split into three different categories. Curbsides, um, which are things that are in the outer ring of the station, which have to be performed every time, which is like a gas refill or a car wash. Mm -hmm. um, and those things, because you have to perform them every time, normally involve some sort of keyboard input press or um, some sort of like quick mouse movement. Then... Gotcha. There's the inner ring stuff, the amenities, which are um, self-service tasks, which means aliens can kind of complete the tasks on their own, but you have to um, kind of maintain them. So like the hot coffee showers, the aliens will always be able to use them, but as it gets moldier, um, the value you get from them using goes down. So you have to like maintain that whenever you can to keep the value up or like the Abraca Fabulous Beauty Parlor you need to store up charges um, kind of by cranking this thing up. And, um, so yeah, those are the two. And then there's the chores, which normally are no value money wise, but are things that have to be a mix of like done every time or maintained. Um, mm -hmm. And it's those kind of just get in your way in a lot. And so I think <laughs> the hardest one for me, and I, you know, we've had some feedback from other people too, is most probably the asteroids. Um, yeah. Because it is, so how that minigame works is like, you get this big asteroid alert going off um, and you have to run to the center of the station and then you're kind of told a series of inputs you have to do. So like show the up arrow and you have to press the up arrow and then it'll show the down arrow and you press the down arrow. It's a random set and it's a random length. So it's like, there's no memorizing it or anything like that. You always just have to kind of process it as it's happening. Mm. Um, and if you fail it, it's, it, makes a ship leave your station it like messes up your combo and it it takes away 10 percent of your money oh, um, wow. so it's like a, it's a really big punishment um yeah. but 
we found that like that was really necessary to break up people's rhythm. We know, which kind of sounds a little mean, but at the same time, it's like, if, if you aren't being asked to kind of, uh, have more variety in your gameplay, like you're just going to focus on one thing and then you're not, you're, you're going to be good at the game, but you're going to be having less fun because it's like, everything's going to get rote, you know? So like, we're making you break up your gameplay. So you have to do this, do this. And then, um, kind of stay on top of everything mentally and organizationally. Okay. I got to do this, this, and this. Um, right. So yeah, that game, I think that one, and you know, that it's the input of it is just tough too, because it's not something that you can get super better at. Um, mm. It's always like something that it's like, you know, it's not something you can memorize. It's you, you just have to be patient. And it, you, if you just slow down, you'll be fine. Like if you take the extra second, and don't press the wrong button, like you'll be absolutely fine. But it's right. really hard to remember to do that. Um, so there's there are upgrades and stuff throughout the campaign that like reduce the frequency of asteroids or give you like a one time auto complete of it and stuff like that. So it kind of becomes less of an issue as you get through the campaign. But I think that one is is most probably the. I mean that that's the one I still fail sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> But you gotta have that, right? Because that that yeah. adds to the the variety and to the uh, you know that that idea of you just need to slow down and like take your time and you'll do it right. I think is is really fitting to a game like this because the whole point of the game is to to build that anxiety levels up and to build that like, well, you got to do it, you got to do it. But at the same yeah. time, it's like, well, maybe if you just took a step back, like it'd be fine. Yeah. And it's like you when the asteroid alert happens, you get this big flashing red light and it's like, oh, I got to deal with it right away. But like we tell you, it's like from when that alarm goes off to when the asteroid hits, you have 40 seconds. Right. Like, that's a long time. Like you don't have to go do it immediately, but it like ratchets up that pressure because you've got this like. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um and at the same time, so you have all these these different mini games, these things that you're doing. There's a bit of an aspect to this game that's kind of like a management game, it seems, because you're able to swap out these different amenities based on, uh, you know, having like a, a gift shop or a coffee station. Um, in the Steam page, it mentioned learning about what is happening in your quadrant each day and planning the gas station accordingly. So, like, how big of a portion is is this part of the game? Will it be like a huge uh, loss right if i'm not paying attention as much and i'm like oh i just want to be playing these frantic mini games so um there's kind of a, a, a good balance of the two of the two kind of letting you do whatever you want and asking the player to kind of conform to what we've asked for them um and a, a, a ways that works is that we have the amenities kind of they can break down and they can get supercharged depending on how often or uh, how often you use them. So if you use mm. something too often, it'll break down and you won't be able to use it at all um, oh, okay. for and, until you complete one day. Right. Um, and then if you don't use them uh, after two or three days, they become supercharged, which means they'll make uh, uh, bonus money and uh, customers will more likely like want that. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's about swapping what will make you the most amount of money each day. So the goal of each day is always to make as much money. You always, always, always trying to make as much money um, because you are constantly getting these goals 
you complete the goals, the high score goals, you get upgrade points, which lets you upgrade your station more, which lets you make more money, obviously, right. uh, that whole loop. Um, and so you're constantly wanting to slot in things that are going to be like, okay, this one's supercharged. Um, and that's kind of like my, my carry amenity. That one's going to make me a lot of money. So I'm going to put in a couple like lighter ones that are going to require less work for me or, mm. you know, are not mm -hmm. failable or, you know, um, give me some sort of bonus towards that thing. Um, right. So you're going to mix and match those things. And then part of that is you can also mix and match the upgrades. So when you get an upgrade for something that's not permanently locked in, you can remove that upgrade and put it somewhere else. Um, hmm. And so you're constantly trying to optimize your station. So like if refills supercharged, you might want to put on all of your upgrade points and refill uh, that day and take them out of something that's, you know, maybe you don't even have it equipped or maybe it's like kind of a lighter thing. And then after that day, you could take half of those upgrade points out of recharge or, or refill and put it in something else. So it's this constant kind of trying to min max your kind of ability to make money right. and um, what the game's kind of providing you. And then also like there's challenges that there's these alien days that are special days that you, you might want to, swap your equipment for just for that or there's also these uh kind of boss fights that ask kind of specific questions of you and you might want to be like okay if this boss fight i need to get a really high combo so i'm gonna uh, equip things that increase my combo versus equip things that um, make me more money or things like that so there's there's a good mix of kind of letting you do whatever you want and asking the player to like well play around with everything a little bit you know Gotcha. Before we, we dive into my next question, um, can you elaborate on what combo means? Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, so a combo is when you get five correct ships in a row without failing a ship. Um, so that's, you know, you complete all of their tasks and you successfully undock them. You get five in a row, your combo level goes up and the game yells like, combo! Um, <laughs> Just like that. It's my voice yelling it. Um, oh, I love it. <laughs> um, and so um, every time you get those five ships, you're like locked into the next combo level. You can't lose it that run. But if you oh, okay. fail a ship or if you lose an asteroid, you'll that kind of five bar resets. Gotcha. Um, so you kind of want to get things done in sets of five a little bit, but it depends on kind of what your goal for the day is. Right. Of course, of course. Okay, perfect. I just wanted to clarify on that. Um, mm -hmm. Now, you talked about the goal. You talked about, you know, make the most money you can, right? And there's <laughs> these uh, amount of days that you have, and you get different objectives, and it adds to that variety, which is awesome. What is the fail state of this, right? Is there a, I didn't collect enough money, and I got a game over screen? Is that a thing in this game? Um, so most of the time, no. Uh, most of the time, we just let the players play um, and we tell them, you know, hey, you could be doing better. These are ways to improve. Gotcha. Um, but most of the time, the player can just progress. Um, we do have specifics kind of gating spots, uh, which are the boss fights. Um, mm -hmm. And they require uh, the players to beat specific goals to progress through the game. Um, and those things could be like, Oh, you got to got a combo level so high, or you on this day you need to make X amount of money, or um, there's kind of these special things going on, and you have to complete um, specific kind of special things going on those days. Gotcha. Um, and so we try to 
prepare the player for these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes you, it can be a little tough sometimes, which is why we have all three different difficulty levels in the game, because it's like some people can, can play better at the game, right. um, but they might not know it. They might not know the how of it. And so we want to give space for them to learn at the same time. Some people might just, you know, not be interested in getting better and they just want to breeze through it. And we need to give space for them to have fun too. So right, of course. It's a little tricky, but we figured it out. <laughs> Accessibility is always a, uh, a tough nut to crack. That is for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I do enjoy the idea of having, you know, the, the different difficulties and being able to, to kind of play to your own uh, interest. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit before we dive uh into uh, a couple of my last ones going into that main goal and having those those boss stages what is uh so to speak the the end goal right you know like is this a you get enough money and you you win by saying like oh you have the best gas station ever or is it more a premise of like play all the time keep doing it keep getting better it's just made to have that replayability factor Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we have a couple of different modes in the game. Um, the main mode um, is the campaign mode, and that actually has a story you are progressing through. Um, and so the big, big kind of arc of that story is a rival gas station moves in across across the street from you, basically, um, who is, is Dr. Dr. Quasar and his hmm. convenience cube. Um, and his convenience awful. cube... Yeah, <laughs> um, it's all automated. Um, uh, and so it's kind of like a man versus machine kind of thing where you're like, no, you know, service with a smile, a real life janitor can do better than all this automated thing. So um, throughout the campaign, you're kind of progressing against against Dr. Quasar, like learning about him. Um, and then there's kind of some direct conflicts and then he's messing with you. And then in the kind of penultimate kind of uh boss fight you're in a direct competition with them um, and it's basically to establish like who's the best gas station um in that sector of, or, or who's the best gas station on route 66 million gotcha um, so that's the campaign mode um you, it, it's a really good introductory to like all the different systems and um you know it's a great way to play through the game i highly recommend it it takes like eight to ten hours to get through it um then there's also the sandbox mode, which we let you kind of control all the different kind of settings on the station, which, um, you know, that's where you're going to get a lot of your replayability. Um, there's like hundreds of millions of variations you could do with the station layouts with different upgrades and the different settings and stuff like that. So tons of replayability in there. Awesome. Um, then there's also the challenge modes, which are 16 special levels that we set up, which are... Um, are basically super fun, specific levels that we've designed to be like, okay, this is some really hard, <laughs> like hardcore gas station management stuff. Like, can you handle it? Um, and so there's a lot of really fun stuff in there too. That's awesome. Uh, and this brings me to my next topic, which is the fact that you do have co-op in this, which I think is is awesome because this definitely lends itself to being a co-op game. Um, but I'm always interested to see how um people think about balancing 
when it comes to to cooperative gaming is mm-hmm. the co-op only uh apparent to the sandbox mode or is that available as well in the campaign and if so kind of how did you manage the the difficulty spike of considering two people is it just hey are you having trouble like have have a friend come by or is it now that you've added that person it's added an extra layer of well now you have more tasks coming your way Mm -hmm. yeah it's um the game is fully playable in co-op campaign sandbox challenge everything's co-op um and yeah i mean it was a it was really hard to balance the campaign mode um for co-op um you know tasks get done ships get serviced you know, aliens are made happy at such an increased pace when you have the second player. Um, right. and so balancing that was a, 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 you know, very tough thing for us. Um, and something that took us a lot of playtesting, a lot of external playtesting to get right. Um, so kind of how it works is that in co-op mode, um, the money you make is greatly reduced per task completion. Gotcha. Um, the, you get more ships show up. Um, those ships will have more things they want to get done. Um, the and their impatience bars um, move much quicker. Hmm. Um, so those are all core factors. Another big change is how asteroids work, which is um, in single player you just run in, you do the asteroid minute game, you get out. In multiplayer, both players have to run in the middle and then they take turns inputting almost like Pacific Rim style or something where it's like, they gotta be like in sync, um, right. <laughs> uh, which is, it's a, that's a massive, massive change kind of game designs wise. Um, but I'm really glad we put that in because otherwise the players can almost play two single player games. Like they can just be like, I handle all the outer stuff. You handle all the inner stuff. We'll talk in six minutes when the when the round is done. Right. Um, so this asteroid, this joint kind of thing they have to do together, puts a little mix up in that um, and kind of promotes diverse gameplay. Yeah. Um, and, and then some of the bosses are like completely redesigned for multiplayer as well. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah. And so it's it's very tough. It was very tough to get it right, but we got it in a spot where the game is. Um, just as much fun to play in single player or multiplayer, um, which is, I think, often kind of a hard thing for a lot of games to get. You know, it's a lot of times they design with multiplayer in mind and then single player, it's like, well, yeah, there's a single player game, but you don't really want to play it. Like Cosmos is both ways are amazingly fun. You can get all the achievements either way. The game is is good either way. So, yeah, I'm really glad we got that. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy to hear that. I always ask anytime I see a co-op ability or, or option, I'm always interested in what that accessibility or that, you know, balance uh factor was because there's some people who like they'll they'll say like, "Oh, we just added a person and it that's that was it." <laughs> I like yeah. for some games that works, right? But not all. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's where we started at. And we we're like, oh, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to, to hear that uh, you did a little bit extra on the side there for it, because mm-hmm. I'm sure that it it, uh, it sticks a little bit better for those people who do want the co-op experience. Um, yeah. Now, tell me, this is only available on Steam right now, correct? Uh, Steam's the primary spot. You can also get it through Game Jolt as well. Gotcha. Um, 
but yeah, Steam, the big thing about Steam is you're going to get online remote play through Steam through the remote play together. Um, so that's where I recommend purchasing it. Right. Yeah, that does make sense. Um, but that brings me to my next topic, which is, you know, what's next for the team, right? Like you have uh, Cosmos that just released uh, a mm. couple of weeks ago. And it's been doing uh, fairly well. Uh, so we've seen, you know, a lot of people very positive on the topic. Um, are you gonna continue this with, you know, rolling out updates, maybe possible levels, DLC, or maybe is the team thinking about something completely new? Um, it's it's tough right now. I think what we're all thinking about is taking a break, taking a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's much deserved. You said you were you were spending like about five or so plus years now on yeah, this? Yeah, just under five years. And, uh, you know, it's this last kind of six months, we've all been working extremely hard on it. So I can only imagine. Yeah. yeah. So I think taking a break, seeing where we're at and uh, kind of access or, you know, look at our options. Um, but we, de we definitely want to still be creating something, whether it's more Cosmo stuff and more Cosmo stuff or something new. Um, we're definitely looking to making something. Yeah. All right. Well, I am definitely looking forward to both, you know, checking out this game as well as whatever comes next from the team. I'm very happy for you because seemingly it's, it's going well so far. So fingers crossed it keeps that path. Um, but before we wrap this up, I have one final question that I'd love to ask, and it's what I ask of all the people who come on here. It's basically some advice for those who are in the indie space. You spent a good amount of time and you were able to create a video game, which is honestly to a lot of people and to me, uh, it seems like magic, <laughs> right? Um, for those listening who might be interested in starting their own project, just getting into the game space, you know, from what you've learned throughout this, this five-year process, what's you know, one piece of advice that you'd want to instill upon either people listening or maybe just if you could go back in time and tell your past self something, what would it be? <laughs> um, I would say just start making stuff, like start doing stuff. Um, you know, I didn't know how to program five years ago uh, and I just started looking at Unity tutorials and uh, doing stuff. Um, you know, and it doesn't have to be games. Like it can, you know, just make art or like, you know, draw or animate or something like the more you're constantly making and producing, um, the more you're going to be like willing to take bigger risks on, on your art or, you know, what you're willing to make. And also like, you know, if you are making games, like if you want to get into making games, like start making games to see if you even like making games, right. because like, it's a lot of work, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's a ton of work. And like, a lot of people talk about like it, there's an easier way to make a dollar um yeah and so you, you better you better like making games and um you can't just say like oh yeah i like making games it's like you gotta make games and you've got to enjoy the process and then the process is long and it involves a lot of different facets you know game yeah. design's fun but like i spent like months just making menus you know like <laughs> that's that's part of game development you know and so like you got to be familiar with all those parts. And the more you just do it, the more you'll get a better idea of like what you like. Maybe you just want to specialize in something. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. You know? Yeah. I I love that sentiment because it's, it's honestly funny. When I was a kid, I've told this story before, but when I was a kid, one of my big dreams was to build video games, you know, to develop. And uh, at a pretty 
relatively young age, I figured out what goes into it. And I was like, Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) And so I kept, you know, I kept a lot of my, my passion in, in loving games. And I do these interviews and I love to hear from people and get that background. But like, I would never, I have a buddy who, who is really into, to the development side and is trying to get into this space. And he keeps like, Oh, he, he tried to, promote it to me of like, Oh, you could do this. You could do that. I was like, I'm no, I'm like, I'm going to stop you right there. I was like, (laughs) I love you. And I'm, I'm super happy that you're passionate about this, but like, this is not me. I was like, if you want someone to do voice over work for your characters, call, give me a call. But like, other than that, like I'm, I'm okay. (laughs) No. Yeah. That's a good spot to be though. It's like, you know what you want to be doing and you do that. Don't, don't get mixed up in something that's like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think I think to your point though, like that is the the just go out and do some stuff, right? Is yeah. you know, yeah. it's it sounds dumb, but it's it it has a lot of weight to it. Of like, if you don't get to experiment and you don't get to try out, you know, your hand at at saying like, oh well, what is this coding thing like, or what is this animating thing like, and then you try it and you find out like, whoa. This is like, and it's, it's not just trying it and then being like, this is work. I give up. It's trying it, actually giving it, you know, a hundred percent and then finding out like, I'm not enjoying this. That's, that's a great place to be. Like uh, sometimes failure is, is more important than a success because it teaches you what you enjoy. Yes. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And like that experience is still valuable, even if you don't end up doing it, like even if you don't go down that pathway, like having an understanding of how things are made or like what other people are doing is is important if you're going to analyze games or you're going to work on other parts of games or like art in general. It's like having an understanding of the process and having gone through it yourself will kind of open yourself up to more understanding about what other people are doing. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, Ian, Thank you again for coming on. This has been a blast to talk with you. Um, for those listening, Cosmos Quick Stop is currently available, so be sure to head over to their Steam page, pick this one up, try it out, get a buddy to, to play it with you, because I'm sure co-op is, is going to be even uh, even greater. But then again, still fun as a single-player game. So if you don't got any buddies, which I'm so sorry, but you still got a fun game. So pick it up, check it out. Once again, Ian, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's been It's been an absolute blast.